0: We're live, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Crypto Gaming Institute Podcast. My name is Ben, your host, and today we have the CEO of Equify Finance, Mr. Brad Why? What's going on, my man? <laughs> Lovely intro. Everything's good. How are you? Awesome. Awesome. I'm doing fantastic. Super glad we get a chance to chat today. Uh Would love to just dive right in here and understand uh, your story, how you really got to this point, of, uh, of, of being a CEO of a of totally badass Web3 company?
1: Well, that's a, that's a long story. I'll give you the quick summary of it. Um, I, uh, I started my entrepreneurial journey really early. I um, learned programming at an early age, then wrote some software, sold that software, which was really exciting that people wanted to pay for something I created from scratch. And then um, that started a lifelong journey with uh, technology for me and and entrepreneurship uh, because I sold that company to finish my studies. um, And then uh, after finishing uh, higher education, I started another company, a big data company, uh, which got acquired by our first um, alpha user. And and so I I realized that I really like uh, building stuff. I really like building stuff that benefits others and that they can use. Um, Fast forward to 2012, um, started an advisory firm uh, and an incubator because a lot of people were asking for advice, asking for investment. And I realized by myself, I can't do much. Um, In 2009, just by pure luck stumbled upon bitcoin because a friend uh sent me three files said brad compile these uh you'll you'll love them and and i thought he was just trying to take over my computer and infect me with something so (laughs) i'm like either this is going to go really good or really bad (laughs) because i don't get this kind of endorsement for random uncompiled data files but um yeah and that really uh got me very curious and interested in um crypto and the potentials um from there on it was just litecoin ethereum mastercoin i mean there were a lot of early projects that were um, very interesting and uh, very early too so really they didn't grow to their full potential but um i i got more and more involved with the technology. And and um, fast forward to today, well, a few years back, I was speaking at a conference in Hong Kong, and um, someone from the audience came and said, Brad, you should definitely talk to Jason Blake. And I said, okay, where is he? Let me, let me talk to him. Because he said, what you said really aligns with his vision. And, and I think I was talking about future of finance and banking or something like that. And, and so he said, oh, he's not here. He's in the Cayman, but um, you guys should talk. So he connected us. Me and Jason became good friends. And, and um, I always thought he lived in another country far away from me. So when we were talking, um, I, I would say, let's get together sometime. Let's plan something. And then it turned out that he was actually um, living 10 minutes away from me. In, in Los Angeles. So um, <laughs> Small we, we, world. Yes, we actually met up. And and um, Jason Blick is my co-founder at Equify. So that's the relevance to the story. Equify is my uh, 15th company that uh, that I launched with Jason. Um, really good. Wait, friend. you said
0: you said one five, 15? Yes, one five. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. You
1: know, you try things, some work, some don't, but uh, it's always an incredible learning experience. Even through the most difficult times, um, you, you learn a lot, you know. But back to Equify. So Jason and I became friends in um, 2020. He said, DeFi is taking off. Uh, let's do something in it. And uh, we started working on Equify's white paper uh summer of uh 2020 once the idea became a little more uh fully baked and mature and and then at the one-year anniversary of uh of the white paper august 2021 we launched the platform with uh with four products on top of all the banking services and, and products on that side and and we've been um Really busy growing it. Uh, we grew it to twenty-eight thousand people in the past six months. Um, uh, we have uh, tens of millions in total value locked. And, and wait
0: a that, second, wait a second, wait a second. Let's back up for a second. Sure. For those who aren't familiar with the product, the the like, give us give us the rundown. Feel free to screen share if you want. Uh, but let's let's actually understand like exactly what you guys are doing uh, with the with the product.
1: Definitely. So, Equify is a um, DeFi platform powered by a licensed and regulated bank, Equibank. Um, what we wanted to build was um, a one-stop shop for everyone to come and and get their financial needs, whether you're a DeFi or You've never touched any crypto, but you have um, used bank products and services, loans, uh, interest rate swaps, uh, bank accounts, cards, whatever it is. We wanted to simplify that because right now, when um, you know you're dealing with crypto products, you go to a specific platform. It's it's blockchain specific. It's product specific. So you go there and you take care of your business. Then. You need to go to a bank portal and do your banking, pay your bills, what have you, and the two are not really connected. Oftentimes, if you have any value transfer from DeFi to banking, that creates additional question marks and, and problems. And the problem we wanted to solve was bring reliable banking to um, to the DeFi community. And on the banking side, bring positive returns to people with bank accounts because the negative interest rates and fees and you know all those things eroding the value you've uh, created for yourself is is just unacceptable at this day and age. You know you have DeFi here that's returning two-digit returns, and then you have bank accounts that's negative interest rate. We wanted to change that and and connect the two so bank accounts get good returns. DeFi clients get good banking services and everyone's better off. But uh, we launched the platform with uh, four products. Mm-hmm. So we have a fixed rate borrowing and lending. That's decentralized. We have a variable rate borrowing and lending, again, on the DeFi side. Uh, we have an interest rate swap, which is a really nifty product that uh, didn't exist before. That's yeah, What does cool. that mean? What does that it's, it's widely used in institutional circles, in, in traditional finance. An interest rate product allows you to go from a fixed rate interest to a variable rate interest and vice versa. So let's say that, you know, the market is moving too fast. You have an open loan with a variable rate that's uh, getting higher and higher, the rate that is. And you don't feel comfortable with, uh, with the direction of the market. You can use the interest rate swap product go into a fixed rate um, product, and then you, you're you now fixed your uh, interest on the loan. So It's like you know, yield
0: optimization between the two products, basically.
1: In a way, in a way, yes. I mean, if you're the lender, yes, it's yield optimization. If you're the borrower, it's interest optimization.
0: Yeah, that makes yes. a lot of sense. And what was the fourth product?
1: Fourth product is a yield aggregator that came out of my uh, personal experience with uh, liquidity pools and trying to place funds in them and benefit from the fees that they generate. I mean, since the launch of, of Bancor and then Uniswap, um, automated market makers, decentralized exchanges have created incredible um fee opportunities not speculation not trading but opportunities to earn fees in trades that usually are captured by the exchange itself in the centralized exchanges that's how they make money so i started playing around with them and realized that i was spending two to three hours going to different blockchains different wallets different assets trying to optimize or maximize in some instances the return I could get on the money in these pools, and it almost became a full-time job. So I said, "Okay, let's uh, let's be smart here. Is there a programmatic way we can do this with smart contracts so that I'm not spending three four hours every day just um, scanning through different pools?" So that's exactly what we built. We built a product that automatically um, looks uh, at the at the blockchain every day and looks at the pools we have uh, a risk uh, analysis process that that looks at different points different aspects of the pool activity number of wallets connected age of the funds in the pool and a few others and based on those rates the pool and says okay this may be you know, a a really high return pool, but it's high risk too, or this is a really good return pool and very minimal risk. And we take that and the yield aggregator product automatically redistributes funds um, as needed.
0: Cool. So one thing that I'm curious about, because I feel like a lot of people, when they think of Web3 and decentralization, they want to get away from... Banks and and like and centralized banks and they want to get more control over their money and, and they have more power and so what I was you know what I'm really fascinated by and what I'm really interested in in the solution that you're building is the idea of a decentralized global banking platform because in just in some people's minds I would imagine there's almost some some tension there of of how do you have like a bank, but also have it decentralized? So maybe you can talk about the role of, generally speaking, the role that banks need to be playing in Web3, in decentralization, and why that's so critical to be able to actually build this thing out. Because I think it is necessary infrastructure to have some something like this, I'm not the expert here, so you know. I really just want to understand, like, your thoughts on like w- what role this really plays in moving towards decentralization and and really solving people's problems without repeating the mistakes of why we needed crypto in the in the past.
1: Excellent question. Again, probably requires several hours to properly answer. So <laughs> I'll do my best in a, in a summarized fashion, but. Um you, you are correct that there has been this, um, this mindset that it's either DeFi or centralized finance, and the two are not compatible. You either do one or the other, and we don't like one or the other on, on both camps. And we actually believe the future is going to be a mix of the two. Hybrid. It's not going to be decentralized finance, destroying all of the existing financial rails, and then coming out uh, prevalent and, and victorious at the end of the day. And it's not going to be banks uh, stemming innovation and squashing decentralized finance and going about it their own ways because that's that's not the future we see. So with, with Equify and Equibank, what we wanted to prove to everyone is that the two can be compatible And the two can coexist. So we wanted to take the best of the centralized finance and the best of the decentralized finance and bring them together in a way that's licensed, regulated, compliant, but at the same time uh, beneficial to the users, inclusive, accessible, and global. Now, a truly decentralized bank today cannot exist, not because the technology is not there, but the regulatory environment is not there. A lot of the times, as, um, as much as programmatically, we can define a lot of the future outcomes, uh, regulation gives a really solid framework to all innovators to see what, what is um, accepted and what can be done within that framework. I think that's a really good, uh, obviously it has to be sensible regulation geared towards innovation, supportive of innovation. I mean, that goes without saying, I always say heavy-handed innov- uh, regulation just kills innovation. That's of it, course. I mean, then you can't do anything. Then you get these anonymous projects that say, oh, I'm not gonna comply with anything because it's it's just BS. Too restrictive, right? Yeah, yeah. But if, if it's done in a, a open dialogue way, talking to the entrepreneurs, to the innovators and all the stakeholders to see what's the best path forward. Um, I think there is an opportunity for us to have a decentralized bank when the regulatory environment catches up with the technologies that uh, exist and that can be delivered. And and for us, you know, it's not that we're gonna become a decentralized bank yesterday, um, It's it's a journey. We wanna take what's, out there right now so if you want to have any kind of bank card any kind of fiat interaction whether it's us dollars or euros or british pounds whatever it is you have to be compatible with the existing systems a lot of us don't pay our um lunch with with crypto i mean there are some cards that kind of pretend to do it but really not there's no crypto rail that's connected to retail globally yet like like
0: i think i think a good way to frame that is you can't exist in this world crypto only like you have to have some sort of fiat even if you don't want to like you're forced to use fiat still
1: well you're not forced to you can starve or hunt and gather (laughs) your own food i mean (laughs) You're not forced to do anything. We're not forcing anyone to do anything. (laughs) But if you want to live comfortably within a large city, uh, even my super maximalist friends who don't have any fiat have to at some point find someone who's willing to take their Bitcoin for cash and pay with that cash Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in some places. Other places take crypto. That's wonderful. We're really excited to see more and more. Uh, cryptocurrencies accepted globally. I mean, that's that has been a dream of mine. But going back to how a bank and a DeFi platform came together, right now, if you want to operate smoothly and have um, certain products that we're used to, I mean, most people know what a mortgage is. And, and most people do use mortgages because it's a very nice way to own property and, and not have to wait till you accumulated millions to, to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, some exciting uh, developments are happening in the mortgage industry with crypto, but up to this point, up to last two years, there was no way to uh, get a mortgage based on crypto. Mm-hmm. Like it, it wasn't right. even recognized. So, so things like that are really good examples of what we're doing, where we're bringing the two worlds together so you can go from crypto to fiat and fiat to crypto as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's that's our goal. We want you to see one portal, whether you call it a DeFi portal or banking portal, I don't care. And you have your different currencies. If you travel a lot, you have your different cryptos uh, based on what you need. You have the crypto products like our yield uh, aggregator, your loans, mm-hmm. everything. And then you have your checking account. You have your traditional loan on your property or your car or whatever and you see everything together and you can go from one to the other seamlessly and that's that's the um, that's the genesis of equify simplifying and bringing them together so that eventually as more regulation comes we can make it more and more decentralized and still compliant still regulated give people that peace of mind that you know their money's not going to disappear we're not going to get hacked you know, we're not going to go around spending company money and, and uh, you know, mismanage funds because we're audited every year and, and our regulators look at what are we doing with the funds. That, right. uh, you Trust. Know. Exactly. So I think that's going to be the future. What can, um, you know, what can DeFi projects like ours do to get to that future faster is become more transparent and and. Uh, more trustworthy. I mean, mm-hmm. to this day, we still see projects that rug pull their uh, stakeholders, token holders disappear, yeah. crash. It's It just gives the industry a bad name, uh, to be honest. And on the banking side, they need to be more open to technological innovation and, and more open to sharing the value created with their stakeholders. Because I remember the days when... You could open a bank account, a checking account, and get five percent interest in that. I mean, you open a checking account, interest bearing, and they gave you four point nine nine percent interest on it. This wasn't that long ago. I mean, this was just maybe twenty years ago, and all now it's point
0: zero one percent. Yes,
1: all that value has been eroded. Why? I mean, it's still the same bank. It's still the same investment activities they're taking and. We just need to fix that. So that's why we're bringing the two together and then helping both industries evolve to the future we want, which is inclusive, decentralized, and accessible.
0: I love that. So the the dream is anybody can live how they want to live with whatever currency they want and they can fluidly... Go and buy the things they need to buy. Spend the things they need to spend. Earn the yield they want to yield. Earn the yield they want to earn. And it's just easy. Is that is that kind of the dream? Like like let's say I was the ultimate maximalist of the Crypto Gaming Institute coin. You know, CGI coin, which doesn't exist yet. Um, so let's say I wanted to do everything in CGI coin. Is the dream where I can come to the platform and I can exist with, you know, 10 trillion CGI coins and I can pay my rent, pay my mortgage, pay for groceries, pay my expenses, and I can invest with it. And I never have to leave CGI coin unless I really want to because you're almost helping me be super fluid between the different currencies. And you're just basically bringing the infrastructure to kind of swap or switch or do whatever I need to do with where I can remain in one currency. And you kind of abstract away all the difficulties of being a multi-currency world.
1: Well, that's not a dream. That's going to be a reality this year. But yes, the, 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 the end goal is you stay in currencies you want and we allow you to... Do everything and use all the services you need without worrying about what happens on the back end. So if your coin is on Solana and you want to buy an NFT, right now you would have to move your Sol to an exchange, exchange it for ETH, move the ETH back to a wallet you control, and then buy your NFT. So that's uh, that's going to be the, the, the process, the simplest way.
0: It's expensive, um, it takes too long, and it's kind of complicated.
1: It, it can be, yeah. It can be all of those things. And, and the goal is for you to say, I have my, um, my coin. I want to use it to buy NFTs. You click and buy NFTs, and we do all the hard work on the back end. And then you have your NFT in a wallet. You don't even know it's in what uh, blockchain it's on. I mean, I think the biggest barrier to entry right now for a lot of people who are not in crypto is which blockchain do you start with? I mean, obviously, I've been lucky. I I was there uh, at the beginning. So I started with Bitcoin, not because Mm -hmm. I knew something better than others, but that was the only thing. There was Bitcoin. Then Litecoin came, and I'm like, okay, let me look at this one. But there were so few of them. Up until uh, 2016, there weren't two dozen major blockchains to choose from. Well, fast forward to 2022, there are. So now people are looking at it, and they're like, well, there's Avalanche. There's Phantom. There's Polygon. There's Ethereum. There's Bitcoin. There's Bitcoin Bitcoin forks that are still around. I mean, where do I start? What is the right starting point? And it's, it's very confusing. So we want to simplify that for the, the new retail users and make it as seamless as, do you want to see the value on your accounts in US dollars? They'll all look like US dollars. And then you may have four different cryptocurrencies in there, but you don't have to worry about it just because of the products you're using. Do you wanna see it in Bitcoin only? You can have it denominated in Bitcoin. So as far as you're concerned, that's the Bitcoin you have. And then on the back end, maybe we're uh, moving some of them to stable coins, some of them to fiat, so you can use it. So if we, our, our dream is to get to a point where it's, it's super simple for those who, who need that simplicity to use it, which is most bank users and most people trying to get into crypto, And then, of course, have an expert mode on where you can export your your wallets out and pick the wallet address and do everything specific to your needs because you know how to do it. And maybe you say, hey, I just want to use this coin to go into this pool and I don't want you to aggregate anything. And that's fine, too.
0: So I think this is incredibly necessary for us to really. okay. so like. My North Star, what I'm always going for, is a fully interoperable metaverse. Like, I want to be in the metaverse. I want everything to work together, to play nicely together. I want it to be open and easy for everybody so we can all just move into that future and it's better for everybody and everything gets what they need. Everything gets what they need. So this, to me, is a critical building block to nail down. On the way to accomplishing that vision and that dream, right? However, I can imagine that there are going to be an unbelievably large number of obstacles to actually get there. So, I'm curious if you're saying this is happening in a year. How are you actually doing that? And maybe it's like, or maybe, maybe you just make it really attractive on the front end for people to be like, "This is how I do things." And then you're like, this is the real cost of doing it. And then maybe it's just easier for them to understand how to do it. And you're performing all of the, um, like you're executing all the different um, things that need to happen on the back end, And then they just get the result that they need. I don't actually know. That's, that's what I'm trying to understand is like, how does that actually happen where I could live in an, a completely, you know, let's say ETH or, or BTC world but still, you know, use all the things you want to use. Like, how are you actually accomplishing that um, on your side?
1: Well, it's not simple. It is. Uh, it can get complicated. But I'm glad you mentioned metaverse because through this um, idea, vision of bridging the divide between banking and DeFi and bringing those two together, the next step of that vision was to bl- bring all blockchains together. Because now that we connected banking and and crypto, well, crypto is not one uniform thing. It's not just one blockchain. There's several of them. So now we're connecting different blockchains together, and so the value transition uh, transfer can be really simple again. And then we realized we also want to be the bank of the metaverse, of course. because that's that's. A, That's going to be a part of our future, maybe a big part, maybe a small part, but it's not going anywhere. No, it's the future.
0: That, That is the logical conclusion of everything that's happening right now is we end up there in the metaverse. That's exactly where we end up.
1: So now we're we're connecting the metaverses too. We have partnership with uh, partnerships with four metaverses, and we're gonna add all of them together. Because when people ask me what is your vision of the metaverse, I say it is the metaverse, not metaverses where it's disconnected and you have to log into one and then get out and log into this one. One is 2D, one is three D. No. Right. I envision a future where everything is connected. And we want to be the financial plumbing. We want to do all of the value transfers between the metaverses, between different coins, between different play to earn platforms and and everything. So the way we're approaching it is is basically uh, one uh, connection at a time. We connected Ethereum. Then we connected finance smart chain. Now we're connecting Bitcoin. Then we're going to connect maybe a, a polygon or Tezos or Phantom, one of the, one of those, uh, and we're in talks with a lot of these uh, blockchains. Then we're connecting the metaverses, and then eventually, um, I mean, the technology, the design of it is not that difficult. The development and and testing and and making sure nefarious characters can't exploit anything. That's that's the biggest challenge. So by approaching it methodically and adding only one new piece at a time, we want to make sure that we do it right. and And eventually everything is compatible with everything else, at least from our perspective on our platform.
0: I love that. So you're picking out the highest EV group to work with who is open to doing it. And okay, let's go build with them and build the bridge. And then once you have that bridge built once, it seems like then network effects, they get access to the rest of the ecosystem and you can just keep adding bridges. And then once you kind of solve for that on a tech level, well, now it's just plugging new people in, into the, into the ecosystem. And then everything kind of works really well together. Uh, Please correct me if I'm wrong. uh, But that seems kind of like what you're saying, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, technologically, it's more complicated because it's not to take a line of of code and it's connected, you build the bridge, build the (laughs) API, uh, test it, see how many layers of code needed, what type of environment the metaverse has or the blockchain has. Obviously, there are blockchains highly compatible with Ethereum. Those are... Uh, much easier to incorporate. Have blockchains that don't use EVM; they don't have EVM. So, you know, the the Rust-based uh, blockchains. Then, then you need to adapt to that and their uh, functionality and capabilities. So, it's 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 just one step at a time, but um, a really exciting
0: journey. I love that. I love that. And yeah, it would be really nice if you know everybody that needs to work together could. Hop on a quick call, be like, hey, let's work together in this way and that way. You shake on it, and then it's just, you know, it just happens from there. But no, there's like a lot of building that has to go in to form all these bridges and to actually execute on everything. So that's um that's that's really, really interesting. Yeah. So I want to talk about this idea of the metaverse and building the plumbing for that, right? Because I think if Somebody is in the Web3 space right now. And if you're in it, if you're playing in it, if you're trying to build a career here, if you don't see that everything is going to the metaverse and everything we're doing in DeFi and with games and with any other application of crypto with DAOs, like, everything, every, everything is going to converge and live in the metaverse. Right. Like and it and it doesn't have to be this ready player one esque snow crash esque like like virtual reality, completely 3D thing, full immersion, like with the headsets or the chips in our brain. Right now, everything that's not physical, everything that is digital, that is the metaverse. So we're all going there, right? And this idea of building the plumbing is incredibly, incredibly important. Important. How do you see as tackling the financial plumbing? What do you see as the biggest obstacles as far as building out that plumbing and reaching the scale and the vision that you really want to reach? Possibly including in the in the answer just some of the questions, some of the obstacles we need to tackle in the grand metaverse. As a whole, because obviously, you know, that'll affect you. But like, what are the, the biggest obstacles we need to tackle to get there?
1: Well, I mean, with any, any kind of infrastructure build out, whether it's physical or, or digital, um, there, there are three things that are extremely important and you can run out of it's time money and education. So we need to educate people so that they understand what we're doing and the value of it. You know, when we talk to our metaverse partners, yeah, they want to issue a debit card to their stakeholders. They love that idea. They say, oh, if I can have a decentralized credit card and you know corporate, any card issuing partner can give them a branded card. It won't be connected to anything crypto, but it'll be branded and people can use it. So the nuance is there of how their native currency can be connected to this card. So people can create value in the metaverse and spend it in their real lives or vice versa, work hard and then spend it in the metaverse. So that, there, that is still a huge educational piece, both for the denizens of the metaverse, the, the citizens that exist there, and, and um, the, the creators of the metaverse. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, time is very important, timing, because as more and more Entities are coming into the metaverse with their flavor of how they want to shape it. um, We have to act timely to establish ourselves across board with everyone. Like Facebook coming into the metaverse can be a really positive thing because hundreds of millions of people can suddenly learn the terminology, experience something really good, or it can be. really negative if it swings and no one can go in and out of it unless you're using your facebook headset and uh using facebook internet connection whatever they're trying to do that could be really detrimental because if it's not connected then you know you're creating the same divisiveness that existed so far at least in the physical space like my country your country my culture your culture like constantly dividing and and proliferating that division as opposed to saying hey we're all humans and we're Bring different and thats beautiful but let's do stuff together um, and the the ongoing war from last week is is a prime example of that two people right. so so close to each other culturally and, and uh, mentality wise are are waging war for no reason at all Uh, But not to get political Um, and then money, of course, infrastructure projects require a lot and a lot of investment. We're lucky that there are some incredible projects that raised a lot of money in the metaverse. So they're they're growing, they're building. But we need to, you know, if we say we are the financial plumbing of everything, we need to be prepared to deploy more capital and, and faster. Because at the, at the end of the day, um, you want to have one system that connects everything. Uh, Visa and Mastercard, I mean, th- they have different branding, but they own each other, and and that's that's the rails for um, debit and credit cards. Aside right. from that, no other business succeeded just because you only need one good plumbing that works. You don't need two, you don't need three. So us being first to market is a huge, the first mover advantage is huge for us. But if uh, there, there are more um, competitors that enter the space and say, oh, we're going to do exactly the thing you guys are doing. Again, that's 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 a challenge that we're willing to accept, but that, that would be a challenge just because You know, once someone establishes themselves as the plumbing of the metaverse, I think that's going to be the tool used. No no one's going to come and create a side plumbing unless there's something missing. Right. So Mm -hmm. if you look at credit card rails, Swift, IBAN, there's only one of these things because we just need one that works, that is inclusive so people can connect to it. And once that's there, off to the races.
0: So... That inevitably then brings the question of if it is again it's it's this it's this back and forth of we absolutely need the plumbing and we only need it to we only need one set of, of pipes and, and one unit of plumbing and we still need to keep in mind that this it's almost a public good for the metaverse. And so we have to keep in mind that the need for decentralization and for the ability for everybody to participate is critical because we don't want Visa to own everything and Visa to have sole discretion to make decisions that then affect everybody because they own the plumbing. So how do you balance that need for okay, well, you guys have to make decisions as a brand, as a business, and you have to be able to execute and to do things you need to do. And what we're talking about here is becoming the plumbing and infrastructure for the metaverse that affects everybody and that everybody's going to use. And so that, with that comes enormous implications of like responsibility and the need to like serve the whole world in a in a really uh, the whole digital world the whole metaverse like in a really appropriate way like how do you think about that how do you how do you think about these ideas
1: well that you just answered the question in your first sentence so that's that's an easy one to be honest ben um we believe in decentralization and uh obviously to um involve regulators, a gradual decentralization. So obviously becoming the plumbing of everything financial in the future is a very lofty and long-term goal. It's not like today or this year or two years from now, that's gonna take time. But our approach is, I mean, our motto is uh, community powered banking. We believe in, in um, involving, including, and listening to, to our community which uh, we have done. I mean, of of the last four or five sprints we did since we launched the platform, all the decisions were influenced, if not made by the community. They asked for something, they needed something, and we delivered it, whether it was constructive feedback on uh, functionality or UX of the platform or additional features or, or what have you. So I think, in order to become that um, vehicle that carries all the transactional volume and all the financial movements of the metaverse, uh, we will have to, one, be supported by all the players in the metaverse, both financial and, and uh, creator communities. So that's important. And two, be decentralized. And and that's, uh, again, we, have intentions and plans to spin off certain technologies once they become um, mature enough and uh, wildly used enough to uh, to a different model and not necessarily be the gatekeepers of it Uh, because the foundation model the decentralized development model works really well so in in success when we see that level of adoption we do want to slowly uh, take that off of our hands, and and create a community governance model around it, so that everyone feels that it's theirs. The decision making we can make good decisions. We can make unselfish decisions. That's that's really not difficult uh, at all, at least for us, because we believe in this uh, ecosystem and and the, the uh, community. But the importance is is once you build something, how do others feel about it? Are they liking it? Are they using it? Do they feel ownership of it? Do they feel, this is my platform, this is my protocol to use? And and that's the biggest question. How do we get from, oh, Equify is connecting everything to, my platform is connecting everything, whatever it's called. It could be Equify, it could have a new name, but, uh, we need to get to that level of community adoption, community at large. And that's that's going to be a challenge with more traditional players. I, I can see that. I mean, crypto community, are pretty used to DAO models. We're pretty used to foundations and, and communities uh, managing very large projects. I mean, look at the Ethereum foundation, the Bitcoin foundation. I mean, they're not perfect, but uh, they do embody that uh, that philosophy. So within our community I know we can do it. But now you're talking about, you know, Facebook coming in and Visa and Mastercard and we don't want to cut those people out, right? If if we're saying we're giving access to people, you can't just say, well, I'm just going to give access to uh, this group of people, because they've exactly. been, whatever, excluded. But the people who were a part of the previous system, they can't come in. I mean, that's not access. That's right. not inclusion. So we need to have an a, a inclusion mindset that involves all of the incumbents, all of the established entities to of feel course. comfortable and, and um, know enough about what we're building to be a part of it. And that's, that's the biggest challenge. We, we work very closely with institutional partners. And everyone, you know, sometimes asks, well, are you guys like just inter- institutional focused? And we're like, no, we, we welcome everyone. But the institutional partners are going to take the longest to understand and adopt because of their structure. And want to exclude them. You know, if, we, if we create the pipes, well, we can't and we don't want to, even if we can, even if a company, a country comes and says, you build the infrastructure, you can exclude whomever you want. I don't want to,
0: like, but I want everyone to. to be connected. Yes, yes, we can't afford to, because if we're all trying to fight to build the same thing and just have a better version of the same thing than everybody else then that's, that's not going to be nearly as efficient and as effective as all coming together to contribute to one thing and build it really, really well. And, and what I think this then sets up is, and this is actually also a question too, is, and I almost think this could be the, the biggest long-term issue. I think you did a really good job of articulating the short-term, short-medium-term issue of like integrating and implementing and getting everybody there. But what happens in 100 years from now or let's say 200 years from now when the plumbing of the metaverse is still necessary but you and I may not be around to be implementing still and be building still? Okay, well, how do you handle transition of decision-making? How do you handle transition of asset allocation? How do you handle transition of governance? And that at, at that point, yeah, it becomes super important the like governance becomes super important because whoever makes decisions around the plumbing of the metaverse is going to have an unbelievable amount of power and influence over the entire world and all of humanity. So I think the, even the bigger issue later on down the road is what happens long-term with who gets to decide what happens with the plumbing of the metaverse. So how do you think about that? How are you like, how are you trying to solve for that now? I recognize that maybe that's not the biggest issue on the docket right now because, you know, you're still in like the build and make it happen phase. But still, you know, let's, let's say five, 10, 15 years down the road, like everything, everything has worked out according to plan. Like, okay, well now what, what, what happens then?
1: Well, we we always think about it from um, two aspects. So there's the governance issue. And uh, a lot of the um, decentralized governance models are being built and tested to a certain extent. uh, And we're following those closely because if I don't reinvent the wheel about governance, I'm happy enough to do it, right? I don't. We don't want to solve every problem. We're focusing on financial stuff, on banking stuff, DeFi stuff. Uh, I would love for someone else to come up with a governance structure and, and system that works really well and that we can implement. But short of that happening, uh, we're, we are going to start thinking about that governance model in the second phase of, of the platform. Right now, we, um, governance elements, we're implementing more community. You're talking about an interplanetary few 200 years where we may not even all be on the same planet. So how do we governance in a situation like that? That's, um, that requires some, some uh, thoughtful deliberation about what does that entail? What system we want and what has worked in the past? So if we don't wanna base our governance on traditional systems, it would be a question much better uh, suited to answer maybe 10 years from now. When we see all the decentralized uh, governance models that are being built and tested right now, when we see the results of those, what worked, what failed, how did that DAO fail? Or how did this DAO become very successful and stable? And take that learning, and then uh, implement the the best part of it. Um, you know, as as far as uh, the second aspect, is of course, um, who's coming on to the ecosystem? Right. That's that's another process that needs to take its due time. We signed our first uh, metaverse partnerships here, so three months ago. I mean, in in three months and and four metaverse and about four chains we're at the beginning of this once we see the not the final picture but at least the mature picture of this how many blockchains how many metaverses then it's going to be a lot more interesting to start structuring working on the structure of that model to see how how the decisions are made who, who need to have an input and how do we uh Change governance as needed. Like these are all really big questions to answer, and and we don't want to answer them just the two of us, three of us, five of us. We want to have a consortium around that that other smart people come in and say, "Hey, I try this," or if I'm going to be a part of it, this is what I expect, and and really shape it based on the community feedback again, but this time community in general like all the players that are connecting to the metaverse and our platform.
0: And so just to make sure I understand what you're saying is for Ekify specifically, as you guys go out and build more partnerships and you have more people that you're building plumbing for, you want to integrate those people into the decision-making process and so be more community-driven in that way where the biggest movers and shifters and the people who have actually built, they are coming together and being leaders of the discussion. And then perhaps through those folks leading the discussion together, that then trickles out into um, the greater communities that are then being served by all of those leaders. And then through that, through that sort of discussion, And learning from how, you know, experiments of DAOs between now and then through those things, we can come together and build the best way to do it, or at least give it our best shot at building the best way of tackling this and doing it in a really appropriate way. Is that kind of what I'm, what I'm hearing? Yeah, that's, that's basically the starting point.
1: And then of course the one complicating element is if we do want to build something global and widely accepted. We need to pull in the regulators. So at some point, we need to do a lot of educational work on what a DAO is, what uh, uh, a community-driven structure, which exists in some countries and others, it's really foreign, um, what that means and how that can be uh, regulated in those specific uh, countries and, and geographical zones. because. In order to include everyone, again, uh, you know, I, I always uh, smile when people say, oh, we're excluding United States from our ICO, from our token sale, from the platform. And I'm like, okay, I thought, you know, we were doing all this decentralization and everything to be inclusive and bring more people in. <laughs> Not just say, well, I'm doing the best project. It's going to be a global DeFi and we're excluding all U.S. I'm like, uh, uh, okay, that doesn't work for me, but great that you guys are doing that. So we can't just be like, we're going to exclude IP ban, this, this, this jurisdiction, because again, the people there don't want to play ball with us. I mean, we can, and we have been, but that's not an inclusive future. Exactly. We can't afford to. You put it very nicely. So that is going to be very important to bring all of the jurisdictions together and and agree on something that we can all use and as light touch as it is more chances that it will be widely adopted and more people will agree to it because everyone's laws are different every country's expectations are different some are more um commerce driven some are more uh you know, politics-driven, and and we need to find a a framework that everyone says, okay, if this exists, this is acceptable, and we'll let our group of players come and play. And then once we accomplish that, I think we'll have a clear definition of a DAO, what it can and it can't do. We can start implementing truly global, uh, community-driven infrastructure projects and has participation. I mean, that would be amazing.
0: I love it. I love it. And uh, I know we're getting close to time here, so I think that that vision of what um, we just articulated. I think if we hold on to that, and we uh, we keep building towards that, I think uh, I think we're gonna make it. I think we're all going to make it. And, um, you know, on that note, I just want to say thank you so much, Brad, for, for coming on the show today, sharing everything that you have. Um, and, and I mean, I really love your approach and, and just the way that, um, that you're thinking about this stuff and, uh, yeah, really, uh, really appreciate you and everything you're building and, and the time you shared today. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Ben. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, we're excited to do this. It's, it's more of a Passion project. I'm very passionate about what we're building and how it can impact uh, people's lives positively. So, everyone watching, check out the platform equify.com and uh, you know, give us feedback. Use the use the yield aggregator. Earn some yield on it, and and let us know how how the experience was. And and uh, hopefully, we'll see you somewhere in the metaverse.
0: Love it. Thank you again, Brad, everybody watching and listening. Thank you. And I'll see you all on the next episode. Take care now.